Second Corinthians 3.18, this is what it says. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When I look at this verse, I, I feel like it captures what we're really going for this year with our theme of formation. That is, what would it look like if we ordered our entire lives around this vision of becoming more and more like Jesus? And what we're really talking about is how do we live, like practically in a city like ours, in a time like ours, how do we live as disciples and as apprentices of Jesus? And we define there are three goals of apprenticeship to Jesus. The first we covered last week is to be with Jesus. That is the primary chief goal. We're never going to graduate from that. Into eternity, we are going to be called to be with our rabbi, be with Jesus. The second is to become like Jesus, and the third is to do what Jesus did. Well, today we're going to talk about what it means to become like Jesus. And I think the truth is, if we were to break it down, I think most of us in our deep inner hearts want to become like Jesus, right? We don't come to church and say, I don't really want to be like, like we're drawn to the person of Jesus. We're here because we see something in his life that we want for ourselves. So most of us, it's not a lack of desire. And for, I bet most, most of us, it's not because we haven't tried. Like some of us, we've been going to church for decades and we just still haven't figured it out. I'm one of them. I'm still figuring it out and it's okay. But it's not for a lack of desire. It's not for a lack of effort. I think the truth is, if we were to ask very honestly, I think most of us just don't know how. How do I change? How do I be transformed? How do I become more like Jesus? Like, how, do, how does it happen? How does it work? How do I become more loving and more patient? Because if it's just a matter of effort, yo, I tried being patient last week when I got into a fight, but it just didn't work. I didn't become like Jesus. If it's just about effort, then why haven't I gotten it yet? How do I be transformed? And is this at all even possible? Is it possible? I think these are the questions that we often ask ourselves. But I think to answer these questions, we have to first look at this question. How are we formed? What are the things that actually form us? And I'm not just talking about spiritually. Like, what are the things, what are the factors that form us into who we are today? That made Gabby who Gabby is today. That made Jacob who he is today. What made us us? And I think when we ask this question, I believe there are things in our lives that are shaping us, whether we give it permission or not. In in other words, we're always in the process of becoming, of being formed, whether we realize it or not. And so we have to ask, what are these things that are forming us, and how do we orient them towards Christ-likeness so that we're not unintentionally being formed by all of these things, but that we're intentionally being formed into the image of a rabbi, Jesus. And so there are four four points that I'm going to cover today, four things that I believe form us, and how we, under the lens of spiritual formation, can orient our lives to be formed specifically into the image of Jesus. Y'all ready for that? It's going to be good. Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in this place. And I think a lot of what we teach today, it could feel like damn, I just got to do more. Like, I got to put in more effort. But I thank you, Lord, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I'm also sorry for just swearing right now, God. I didn't mean that. But Lord, I thank you, Lord, that your burden is easy and your yoke is light and you are leading us in the ways everlasting. So we thank you. You're on this journey with us and you're leading us to a good place. 
We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are we formed? Let me tell you. Number one, write this in your notebooks. We are formed by the stories we believe. Did you know there are people in this world who believe that the earth is not round, but that it is in fact flat? And many of these people also believe that NASA and the government have conspired all this time to hide this from the general public. Believing this story will likely shape a huge chunk of the kind of person you become. I read an article last month, and it's, it's not funny, okay, so don't laugh, but there's a flat earther who built their own rocket ship because they wanted to fly high enough to prove that the earth had no curvature. Um, unfortunately, the rocket ship malfunctioned and they crashed and died. But it begs to ask the question, what would compel someone to build their own rocket ship and to fly and think it's a good idea to prove that the earth is flat? They believed a story. There are people in our country who believe the story that vaccines are harmful and that this whole pandemic has been a government conspiracy. There are people who believe the story that religion is man-made and manipulative. Um, there are people who are demonically influenced that believe that pineapple doesn't belong on pizza because we all know that pineapples are from the Lord and they belong on pizza. There are people who believe that systemic racism exists and that you are exponentially more likely to be shot and killed by police if you are black. There are many stories in our world. There are many stories that we hear in our lives, and these stories play a vital role in shaping the kind of people that we become because we are story-driven creatures. We crave a good story. That's why y'all at the, the theater or Disney Plus watching Pixar movies all the time because we crave a beautiful, good story. Stories shape our reality. They form our values, our dreams, our ideals. They influence our culture, and stories ultimately play an important role in forming who we become. And so the question I want to ask is this. What are the stories you are believing what stories shape your reality and your values and your dreams and who you are as a person? When it comes to spiritual formation, the stories we believe about God have life-changing implications. Um, A.W. Tozer, he uh, once says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If you grew up believing the story that God is an angry father who is constantly disappointed in your shortcomings, who wants to rob you of all your dreams and your desires for the sake of his glory, uh, chances are you're going to be molded into a certain type of believer, um, a kind of believer that I'm sure is not very much fun to be around. Conversely, if you grow up believing the story that God is a good father who delights in you, who wants to give you life to the fullest, It'll produce a different kind of believer than that other guy. You know, tomorrow we celebrate MLK. And, you know, one, what is the story that Dr. King believed about God? I believe that Dr. King believed the story about a God who never overlooked the oppressed, who cares about injustice and suffering of people so much so that it moves him into action. I believe he believes a story about God who created every human being in his image, who are worthy of dignity, love, and respect, regardless of the color of their skin. All of these stories that he believed about God form the kind of person that he was and the ministry that he engaged in. 
I think perhaps one of the reasons why so many people today, our generation, are abandoning evangelicalism is because they're reexamining the stories that they've been told about God. And they're seeing that maybe there's a disconnect between the God that they've been told about and the God that they're discovering for themselves. That maybe God actually cares about social justice. That maybe our emotional and our mental health matter to God, that they're important to him and our worship to him, that maybe we need to welcome other voices to the table other than white men. I believe that, that right now so many people are abandoning white evangelicalism because they're questioning the stories they've heard about God. And what this challenges us to do is to be very intentional about the stories we choose to believe about God. As followers of Jesus, the story of God is meant to shape our reality, and it's often countercultural to our world. Do you know every time you watch a TV show, every time you listen to a podcast, every time you listen to an album, you're being told a story. And oftentimes, we're not intentional about making sure that we hear stories that are not just fun and good, but stories that are from God. Stories that tell us of who he is and the order of his kingdom. I mean, I love watching Singles Inferno just like the rest of y'all. But we cannot forsake the other things that lead us to the ways everlasting. While the world tells us a story that we're only as valuable as what we can produce, the story of God tells us we are already worthy of love. While the world tells us a story that when someone wrongs you, you must retaliate The story of God tells us to choose the way of forgiveness. While the world tells us the story of instant gratification, the story of God tells us there's beauty in self-denial and waiting and patience. If we were to be brutally honest, church, the millennial and Gen Z church of our day, I think most of us are being formed more more into the image of our Instagram feeds than we are to Jesus. Let's just be real. And it's because we spend more time listening to the stories of the world than to the stories of God. And this is why we have to immerse ourselves in the story of Scripture. Why we have to listen to good teaching and sermons that show us the way of the kingdom. We need to deepen our understanding of theology. You know, I went to seminary and I realized I'm paying a lot of money to answer a call that actually every believer is called to. That every believer is called to explore theology for themselves. And I'm paying hella money to do this. But I guess I got a good education. Whatever. We are formed by the stories that we believe. So that's the first way that we're formed. The second, we are formed by the habits that we live into. Despite the common belief that our loves shape our habits, in fact, the opposite is also true. Our habits have the power to shape our loves and our longings. In other words, the things that we do actually do something to us. Case in point, um, there is a stretch of many years where I went to Indonesia for short-term missions from 2012 all the way to 2016. And on these trips, every single place that we would visit as an act of hospitality, the locals would ask, do you want some durian? And if you don't know what durian is, durian is a tropical fruit. Uh, They call it the king of all fruits. But they're very, um, they smell like boo-boo, okay? They smell really, really bad. The only way I could describe it is they smell like garbage mixed with gasoline. Have you ever smelled durian? And they taste exactly like they smell. 
And so we'd be going to all these households and people in an act of sincere generosity and hospitality would say, do you want some durian? And I would have to say, yes, but as I'm eating it, I hate it. But I resolved if I'm going to be a good witness in this nation, I have to come to love durian. And so I made a vow with God. I said, God, God, before you, me right here, right now, I make a vow whenever I am Asked if I want durian, even if I am full, even if I don't want it, even if I'm repulsed and want to throw up, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to adopt the habit of eating durian. And you know what's crazy? After a year. I love durian. I love it. I love the garbage gasoline smell. I want to rub it all over my face and eat it. It's so good. And it's crazy. It's crazy because my habits led to my longings and my love. For those of you who love coffee, you cannot tell me that you loved coffee the first time you tried it. What happened? You kept drinking it, and you acquired a taste for it. The things that we do do something to us. We live in a time where, you know, our generation be all about authenticity. If I don't feel like doing something, I'm not going to do it because that ain't me being me, right? We we, we miss out on something truly special when we do that, when we allow our feelings to be the Lord of our lives, because feelings make excellent servants, but they're terrible masters. My man, Eugene Peterson, the late and great Eugene Peterson, if you read the MSG version of the Bible, that's, that's what he wrote, even though he's a white dude. You know, we love the MSG up here. He says this, we live in what one writer has called the age of sensation, We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Isn't that good? I think some of us are waiting for the feeling to pursue God. And we've concluded since I don't feel like praying, I shouldn't do it because it wouldn't be authentic. I ain't keeping it real if I do that. But we end up waiting until we feel like it. Months, years go by and we never end up praying. And we end up missing out on opportunities to be shaped, to have our longings and our love shaped by the practices and the habits that we do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know anything about him, you should look up his life. It's inspirational. But he once gave this advice to a young couple at their wedding, and he said this, Today you are young and very much in love, and you think that your love can sustain your marriage. It can't. Can you imagine? Like, you're at a wedding, and that's what the preside, like, the next wedding that I'm going to do, that's what I'm going to say. He says, today you're young and very much in love, and you think that your love can sustain your marriage. It can't. Your love can't sustain your marriage. Let your marriage sustain your love. You know, if you would have asked me in 2016 when I got married, I would have said, B.S. Our love can overcome anything, any mountain, any height. Our love is so pure. But now that we've been married about five years, I've become a little bit wiser. I get it. Because I don't always wake up in the morning feeling longing and love for my wife. And sometimes when we're in the busyness of changing diapers 
and staying up till 5 a.m. in the morning feeding baby and doing chores around the house. We don't have capacity for love and longing for one another. So what do we do? We do what we once did before. We intentionally go out on dates, even though I'd rather sleep. But tonight, we're going to go to Ramen Nagi, and we're going to just be with one another. And, being, and as we do what we used to do, as we practice habits of love, what happens? The, the feelings of love and longing begin to permeate in our hearts once again. Because our habits shape our longings and our feelings. What we do does something to us as we do it. That as we pray, our love for God is formed. That as we read scripture, our longing for God intensifies. And maybe not right away, uh, but we find that over time, our hearts begin being formed by what we practice. Now, half of our church has signed up for the San Francisco Half Marathon. I believe on that day, we might have to cancel church. But let me tell you something. On that day, if you did not run a single mile before you show up to that start line, you are literally going to die. You're not going to make it, bro. You're not going to, it's just not going to happen. I don't care how athletic you are. And I think some of us, we're trying to run this race and we just show up on race day, but we haven't practiced. We haven't built in the habit that actually forms our love for running. You know, I hate running. I don't run because I love it, but something happens as I run more and more. I start to say, this is kind of nice. Our habits shape our loves and our longings. And this is why spiritual disciplines, practices, and rhythms of Jesus are so vital to our formational journey. This is why we made a collective rule of life. And listen, I feel a, a wave of guilt right now. It's okay if you haven't started it, but today's a brand new day. You can start it. We made this rule of life because we all need a trellis. We need help in our formational journey, developing our loves and our longings for Jesus. Not that you would engage in meaningless religious activities. I've been in church so long, I don't need any more meaningless religious activities. And not just because it's the right thing to do, but as you practice prayer, as you practice Sabbath, as you practice silence and solitude, as you practice community, your love and your longing for Jesus begins being formed. This is why we are called to them, that you would be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus as you practice the ways of Jesus. And so we are formed first and foremost by the stories we believe. Second, we're formed by the habits we live into. The third thing, we are formed by the relationships we're involved in. I'm not going to go too deep um, in this point because Pastor Nassim next Sunday is actually going to talk exclusively about this, and she probably has way more insight than I do about this. But, but generally, our family, our friends, our community shape who we become. I don't know if you've, you're old enough to experience this. I'm turning 35 next month. It's kind of crazy. I'm, I'm old, guys. But the older you get, and I think maybe around your 30s, you start to realize, the older and older you get, that I am exactly like my mom and my dad. Even though as a teenager, I vowed, I'm never going to be like mom. I'm never going to be like, but you become like them. Why? Because we are shaped by the relationships we're involved in. We become like the people we surround ourselves with. Unless you're an Enneagram type four, then you are adverse to that. But, but everyone else, we are shaped by the people that we surround ourselves with. I was just kidding about that. Enneagram type four is no... I love you guys. When it comes to spiritual formation, we are formed in what's known as covenant community. 
You know, we say this all the time. San Francisco doesn't need another worship service. It needs a covenant community. It needs covenant communities that pop up in neighborhoods that care about who's coming in, about reaching the hearts and keeping the ears to the streets to hear what people are burning for, what they care about. We need covenant community. And there's this phenomenon that I notice that happens when people start to get married. Uh, We have a few married couples in the house, but... At first, um, when married people, especially when they show up to church, like, they're so happy and unreasonably smiley, okay, just like Zion. They're just so happy and so smiley. But after a few months, you start to notice their face starts to change. And um, they, they start coming in. They're a little more, like, like solemn. And I remember one time I, I asked a husband that came in before I was married, like, oh, how are you doing? He's like, bro, I, I never realized how much of a jerk I am. That I'm so impatient, that I'm so selfish, that I'm so mean. Like, why do I get so ridiculously creative when I'm trying to hurt my partner's feelings? Like, what's wrong with me? I'm so selfish. And why is this? I believe that covenant relationships force you to grow up. And it's in the context of covenant relationship where where we're able to mature in love. And I wonder if some of us never grow up because as soon as our immaturity is triggered, we move on to the next relationship or the next group of friends instead of working through it, allowing ourselves to stay long enough to be formed in relationship. I, um, I was hanging out with my old college buddies, my best friends two nights ago. And, um, we we're having a lot of fun. We bought some Wagyu and we we're cooking it. Um, and we're just having a good old time around the fire and we're just reminiscing about life. And, you know, we, we met at eight 30 at night and we ended up talking till about 1230. And then at 1230, you know, sometimes when you're hanging out with your friends, something kicks in, you go into overdrive mode of nostalgia and you start going down memory lane. Like, remember this? Uh Oh yeah. Remember this? Uh And we did that up till like 2 AM and someone, one of my friends pointed out, you know, it's crazy. Um, Next year, we'll, we'll have been friends for 15 years. Damn old, man. I'm old. <laughs> it's sad. 15 years, and I realized, man, through those 15 years, I can remember ups and downs. I can remember times where I wanted to distance myself, where I wanted to hide in shame. I could think of glorious moments, but I could also think of difficult moments where I was challenged to love and to grow up to stay in this relationship. Listen, God doesn't let us off the hook. He calls us to enter into covenant with people we would otherwise never be in relationship with. People who are different than you. People who you don't organically click with. People who may annoy you and drive you crazy. People who you just honestly don't like. Listen, if, you have, if you've ever been in a community group and you don't like someone, it's not because you're a bad person. You're human. We're not meant to like everyone. But we are meant and called, at least in the body of Christ, to be in covenant relationship with one another. Why? Where else can we go through the painstaking but necessary process of growth in patience, in forgiveness, in love, while all committing to remain and not leave? This is why if you're looking to become more like Jesus, covenant community with other Followers of Jesus is not optional. It is a requirement in the process of discipleship. Formation is not possible apart from it. Yes, continue cultivating deep relationships with your friends who are non-Christians, but you also need a faith community to help you grow. And so we're formed by the stories that we believe. We're formed by the habits we live into, and we're formed by the relationships we call home. And the last one, we are formed by the environment 
we call home. As a San Francisco native, and we are very few and far in between, there are telltale signs when I meet someone that you are not from here. And the first is this. They call San Francisco San Fran. You know, there was a big tech sign a few years ago that says, San Fran, we're here. And I think every San Francisco native was like, get out, right? <laughs> if you local, you just don't say San Fran. It's not a thing. Um, another telltale sign is uh, you wear summer clothes in the summer. Ha, 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 ha. You're going to be cold. Another is uh, you're optimistic about finding parking downtown before 6 p.m. without getting towed or a parking ticket, right? The places we live in and call home play a major role in forming the kind of people we become, the places that you grew up in, the places that you call home in different seasons of your life. Chances are, if you grew up in a small town in Missouri, you're going to be very, very different from someone who grew up in a big city like New York. Or if you grew up in the Bible Belt, chances are your worldview is going to be radically different from someone who grew up in a progressive city like San Francisco. In UC Davis, um, in my circle of friends, we could point out all the kids that were from Southern California. And the way that we can is because the rest of us who are from NorCal, you know, we're chill and we're cool, we're vibing. We would just go to class and to the grocery store in our sweats. But SoCal kids, every time they go out... They are dressed like they're going to a movie premiere. Like they are going out like they are on a reality TV show. Like we showing up to 7 a.m. classes for sociology in heels. What the hell? Like we could tell who was from Southern California. But over the years, we noticed all our friends from SoCal, they'd be dressing up everywhere they'd be going. After a few years, they started changing. I remember one morning my friend from SoCal met me at class at 8 a.m. And I was like, oh, my God. You are transformed. You are wearing sweatpants today. And it's crazy how a place where you can live can change you. The places we live in and call home form us. But for followers of Jesus, here's the thing. Our home isn't wrapped up in a specific geographic location, is it? Our home is otherworldly. Another way to look at it is our home is actually in the presence of God. And so we're not looking on a map to see which city is the holiest city to live in. I mean, obviously San Francisco, but that's not the question we're asking. We're not asking God what region he favors. You know, that's the danger of nationalism, right? People that believe that America is a chosen nation and that God somehow favors our nation above others. That's not what we're asking. We can find our spiritual home anywhere and everywhere we live. Whether you're here in San Francisco or you move to New York like half of our church or you go to Ohio or you go to Los Angeles, wherever you go, you can find home in God in the presence of God. We can continue being formed into the image of Jesus right where we are, even in a city like ours. Why? Because we're formed primarily in the presence of God. But what I want to spend the rest of my time talking about is how many of you know that it's not just in prayer or worship or in the reading of scriptures or in the spiritual disciplines where we are formed in the presence of God. Brother Lawrence used to call this the practice of the presence of God, that even in washing dishes, even in cleaning the house, even in working out at the gym, we can commune with God in a meaningful way because the truth and the reality is that the presence of God is always with us. But the question is, how often are you aware? of it. 
And so when we try to practice the presence of God, we're learning to become aware of God in every moment of our lives. There's this chart that I have that I found somewhere on Instagram, and I love it because this is normally what our lives are like. We section it off, fun, work, exercise, friends, meals, and time with God. But the incarnational way of living, the way that we practice the presence of God is actually fun, exercise, Bible, prayer, friends, meals, work, all of that we morph into time with God. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit in the middle of your dinner with your friends and say, sha-da-da-da, Jesus, come. That's not what we're talking about. But even in your communing and relationship, you realize, man, God is here. He's here. We don't have to talk about him, but he's here among us. There's this book that I've been reading called Domestic Monastery that I uh, named last week's sermon after. And the only time I have to read nowadays is when I'm rocking baby to sleep in, in the dark in my boxers on a green bouncy yoga ball. And I just have it on my phone. Sorry if that was TMI. But that's the only time I have left to read where I'm trying to rock him to sleep and I'm on this bouncy ball and I'm naked and I'm reading this from my phone. It's just hilarious. But... In this book, the author Ronald Rollheiser, he tells a story of a man named Carlo Corretto, who is a renowned spiritual writer. And he tells a story that Carlo, he spent many years in the Sahara Desert by himself praying. Like, pretty extreme, right? He went into the desert just like the monks did, um, and he went there to exclusively pray and set his attention upon God. Yet, he, he noted upon returning home um, and being with his mother, he noticed that his mom who had not retreated into the desert to pray, who had spent nearly 30 years working a job and raising her children, was much more spiritual than he was and less selfish too. And he had this profound revelation that though there's nothing wrong with prayer and solitude, that his mother had also been spiritually formed in the simple act of raising children. You know, I tell you what, parenting, um, in the beginning, I felt real, really guilty because I don't have time to go to the other room and just pray anymore. I can't just bust out my guitar at 10 p.m. at night and just start worshiping God. My time with God has shifted so much. But as I'm, I was reading this book in the dark on my bouncy yoga ball, and I was weeping because I realized even in my taking care of Zion, it's spiritual formation. And, you know, maybe even more so than a monk or a pastor mother's, And fathers are forced to die to themselves every single day and to overlook their own needs to meet the needs of another. Who's to say that isn't formation? Who's to say that is not spiritual? See, I think the older and the more mature we get, we stop sectioning off what's sacred and what's not. And we start realizing everything that I do has potential to be sacred. If I would make myself aware to the presence of God, Ronald Rollheiser in his book, he says this, stay inside your commitments, be faithful. Your place of work is a seminary. Your work is a sacrament. Your family is a monastery. Your home is a sanctuary. Stay inside them. Don't betray them. Learn what they are teaching you without constantly looking for life elsewhere and without constantly believing that God is elsewhere. We are formed by the stories we believe in. We're formed by the habits we live into. We're formed by the relationships we're involved in. And we are formed by the environment we call home. Now, here is the scary thing. You could go home today after hearing this fantastic message and not change a single thing about your life. You can wake up tomorrow morning as usual and go about business as you normally do. 
but it doesn't change the fact that you are still being formed whether you realize it or not. The stories you believe, the habits you live into, the relationships you're involved in, the environment you call home are all forming you with or without your permission. It's already happening whether you're aware of it or not, even if you don't do a single thing different when you get home. But wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be nice if we could be intentional about the kind of person we're being formed into, that we don't just unintentionally stumble into who we're becoming. We don't just accidentally stumble into who we become, but we've intentionally engaged engaged with the Spirit of God in the process of formation. Well, it takes training. Um, I'm going to end with a few more passages. In Luke 6, 39 through 40, this is what Jesus says. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? I'm pretty sure they would. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, RSV. Train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Vanessa, Ying, okay, it's of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How many of you know that without him, we can't? But without us, he won't. That is... God will not do for us what he has called us to do, that we have a part to play and that God has a part to play. Listen, I don't care how much you know about running. If you do not go out and run, you're not going to be ready to run the race. We have to do it. We have to train ourselves. Dallas Willard once said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And I think one of the big myths in our day is that you can just skate by and not do anything. And I believe it's true. We cannot do a single thing, and we will still be fully loved and accepted by God. He will love us no less. But if we're talking about, I want my life to reflect the life of Jesus, I want to tap into his love and his joy and his peace, there is actually effort that we have to exert. There are things that we have to do. And so I want to leave you with this. How can we be active and intentional about the stories that we're believing, about the habits that we're developing, about the relationships that we're investing in, and the environment that we are cultivating in our lives? I believe this is the key to transformation. This is how we are formed. Now, all of this, of course, happens over time. You can't microwave formation. We are not instant ramen. I'm sorry. We are pulled pork that takes time cooking in the pressure cooker. We are kimchi that ferments in the soil of God's heart. We take seasons. We are like gardens. This doesn't happen instantly. But as you intentionally train yourself, as you intentionally and actively orient your lives, the stories that you believe in, the habits that you're forming, the relationships you invest in, the environment you're cultivating, we'll see ourselves being formed. And so why don't we close our eyes as we respond to God. In this slow process of growing, I believe that we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We can't hope to achieve this by ourselves, but we need the presence of God to guide us and help us as we are being formed into the image of Christ. So right now, I just want you to take a moment, and I want you to ask yourselves, have I been intentional and active in the stories that I'm pursuing, 
in the stories that I'm listening to, in the stories that I'm believing? What about in the habits that I am living into? Or do I just live life unintentionally? Or, or do, are you calling me, God, to form some habits that lead to some changes? What about the relationships? Are there some relationships I need to invest more into in this new year? What about environment? Maybe God's saying, this year, maybe you don't need more set-aside time for prayer. Maybe you need to learn to see and be aware of my presence and what you do every single day. Or maybe for some of you, it is cultivating those atmospheres where you can pray and be with God uninterrupted. Right now, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I believe that some of you, God is challenging you this year. Hey, I know you know that you're loved. I know you know that you're accepted by me. But maybe this year it's time to follow me in this journey of formation. I just sense that some of us are right there. We're right on the cusp you know, earlier we sang, I, I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. I think some of us are right on the cusp of going from I lay some of my life down to, yes, God, I'll lay all of my life down. I think some of us have that fear that what, ha- what will happen? Will I get burned if I invest all of my heart into following you? I believe God is saying, I am a good shepherd. I am trustworthy and faithful to follow. I will not let you down. I will not lead you astray. Just give me your full yes. And I believe for some of us that are on that cusp, I believe today God is asking for your full yes. God, we thank you that you are with us on this journey. We thank you that you're with us along the way. Would you continue drawing us to your heart? as we pursue this vision of being formed into your likeness. We love you. We welcome you.